Hello, hello to all my readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, aka K.H. Majak, with a new essay for you, which I'm very excited um, to present to you. It was really interesting for me to research this essay, and it's actually the first of two essays that that I've um, I'm, I'm I'm working on the second one. But before I begin, I would really like to thank all my readers and listeners. Without your support, I could not spend the long hours needed to research, write, and record my essays, articles, and interviews, nor could I offer them without a paywall. So if you haven't yet, please do become a free and especially a paid subscriber. One-time or recurring donations can also be made at Coffee, and you can find links at the beginning of my essay here. So this is called Who Owns everything. Next to the air we breathe, there is nothing more vital to our survival than water. For the richest among us, owning water is the ultimate status symbol and proof that they own everything. Well, first of all, nobody really owns everything or anything for that matter. After all, you can't take it with you, right? So imagine if you're a billionaire and you have everything except you really don't. You own mansions and jets, yachts and cars and islands and farmland. You control what people eat and where they live and whether or not they can travel. And you fill their heads with the things you want them to think about and talk about. You've invaded their homes and listened to what they say. And now you are well on the way to invading their minds. Politicians, celebrities, academics, and news reporters parrot whatever you want them to say. Space is filled with your satellites and governments do your bidding. You start wars and you never finish them because they are far too profitable. You kill when and how you want. And if you are feeling benevolent, you save a life here or there. And for that, you are given the highest praise and the most notable awards. None of us can really imagine what that kind of power would be like. It is so far beyond the reaches of anything that we have ever experienced. Many of us have dreamed of having such power and wealth. Ah, what would it what it would be like to have such adulation heaped upon us? Goodness, how many of us wouldn't like to just get one rung higher in the insurance company or the doctor's office or the school in which we work? What would we be willing to do if we knew we could live on Mount Olympus with the other gods? But few can handle such power. We see what happens when the person wins the lottery and how quickly they descend again into poverty. The earthly gods despise ordinary folks for our weaknesses. They are sure they know so much better. But being able to handle all that wealth and power only means that they are much closer to the devil. Our earthly gods can try all they want to separate themselves from the rest of us, but there is a little problem that even they will encounter that they can do nothing about, and it is death. Death is the great equalizer, and it comes for us all one day. For those who have have everything except immortality, how this must eat away at their minds. To have reached the pinnacle by which humans, sadly, measure success and to know that in the end, they will still return to dust just like the rest of us. Well, that must be hell on earth. In my next essay, I will talk about two exceptional men who took entirely different approaches to this problem of death. But first, I want to lay the groundwork by talking about water. Water is life. 
Next to the air we breathe, there is nothing more vital to our survival. Three days is as long as we can live without it. So it makes sense that for the richest among us, owning water is the ultimate status symbol and proof that they own everything. The common man now pays a high price for the water he consumes. In 2012, Oregonian Gary Harrington was convicted on nine counts of water misuse for collecting rainwater in three ponds located on his private land and was sentenced to 30 days in jail. Let's put this criminalization in perspective. We can compare Harrington to billionaire T. Boone Pickens, who was said to have owned more water rights than any other individuals in America, with rights over enough of the Ogallala Aquifier to drain approximately 200,000 acres feet or 65 billion gallons of water a year. But ordinary citizen Gary Harrington cannot collect rainwater runoff on 170 acres of his private land. This year, the World Economic Forum has warned us that as much as half the world's water supply is being stolen, with agriculture responsible for much of that. The theft of water takes various forms, they say, including using treated drinking water without paying for it and taking water from natural sources in breach of environmental guidelines. Agriculture, which accounts for 70% of global water use, is often to blame. Well, without acknowledging the irony of such a statement, the WEF goes on to say that most often it's poor and vulnerable, vulnerable people in developing countries who are stealing water. Stealing from whom? From corporations that have come in and stolen what should rightfully be theirs. So who owns most of the world's water? It's complicated, as there are many companies buying up water. But to keep it simple, we can reduce it down to two companies, Veolia and Suez, that announced a merger deal in 2021 worth nearly 13 billion euros. The company, now called Veolia, also was concerned about competition from Goldman Sachs. In 2008, Goldman Sachs led a team of funds to buy 50 billion dollars of convertible notes in China Water and Drinks Incorporated, which supplies purified water to name brand vendors like Coca-Cola. Since China has one of the worst water problems in Asia and a large emerging middle class, its bottled water sector is the fastest growing in the world and it's seen enormous profits. Additionally, China's acute water shortages and serious pollution could buoy demand for clean water for years to come with China's $14.2 billion water industry, a long-term investment destination. It's always the same playbook. A small group of the world's wealthiest elites first make money off of causing an environmental disaster and then make the public pay for a solution to the problem, which usually ends up causing more disasters that need to be solved. In the words of Maude Barlow, author of Blue Gold, the fight to stop the corporate theft of the world's water, it's important to remember that it's a very small incestuous circle. These water companies, the World Water Council, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, the IMF, there's a lot of money to be made from the commodification of water. And these people know that whoever controls water is going to be both very rich and very powerful. In 2005, Paul Donahue wrote an article, Who Owns the Earth's Water? 
And I quote, imagine for a moment what life would be like in the corporate controlled world of the future. A handful of huge, powerful corporations will be responsible for all the societal services now handled by local, state, and national governments, schools, police, prisons, military, mail, elections, social security, and so on. Even more importantly, corporations will control those things essential to human survival, namely food and water. If they can figure out a way to commodify the air we breathe, they surely will attempt to exert their control over the planet's oxygen as well. Services once provided by government agencies accountable to voters will be provided by corporations accountable only to stockholders. With our governments in the sway of the corporations, our minimal democracy having eroded even further, and ultimately authorities ceded to corporate-run international trade organizations, we will have lost the power to control the things most important to our survival. Well, Donahue certainly knew what he was talking about all the way back in 2005. Bolivian President Evo Morales, whose country currently holds the United Nations Council presidency, noted that since 1947, some 37 conflicts have taken place between countries related to water. Our planet, the human family, and life in all its myriad forms on Earth are in the throes of a water crisis that will only get worse over the coming decades, he said. If current patterns of consumption continue unabated, two-thirds of the world's population will be facing water shortages as a daily reality by 2025, Morales added. Those poor countries whose water has been stolen from them can now have it sold back have it sold back to them thanks to companies like Cody Friesen's Source Global, founded in 2015 to get clean water where it's needed most. Investors include the usual suspects, such as Bill Gates, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, and BlackRock and Duke Energy. Just like wind turbines and electric vehicles and the rest of the new gadgets these elites are pressing upon us in the name of sustainability and ending climate change, while simply exchanging one evil for another, more profitable one, Source Global boasts to be the world's first renewable water supply. The Source Hydro Panel is a technology, I'm quoting from their website, a technology that incorporates multiple patented inventions alongside proprietary trade secrets, making it a one-of-a-kind renewable water technology that uses the power of the sun to extract clean, pollutant-free drinking water from the air. Collected water is then mineralized for ideal composition and taste, making premium quality drinking water a readily available resource. In 2018, Friesen had installed an array of 40 hydro panels in Kenya, where members of the Samburu Girls Foundation face daily danger on their journeys to find water. They now have their own water source. Hooray! <laughs> we can now make perfect water at your home, at your school, in your community, in a way that is really bringing it into the 21st century, said Friesen. But why would Kenya need to rely on an outside source to make water out of air, as they promise, when it has Lake Victoria, the planet's second largest freshwater lake? The volume of the lake is mind-boggling, about three quadrillion liters of water. That's a three with 15 zeros after it. And if you want to see what that looks like, you can read my essay. Lake Victoria's problems are conveniently blamed on climate change. From 2000 to, from, um, 2000 to 
2022, the lake, which borders Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania, saw fish die-offs due to low oxygen. But it's pollution that has caused algae blooms to sprout up, consuming huge amounts of oxygen the tilapia and Nile perch rely on to survive. Water samples collected from three separate locations around the lake show it contains high levels of lead, arsenic, aluminum, and phosphorus. Those minerals do not usually occur in large quantities unless they have been mined. For you to get large concentrations of water, for you to get that large concentrations in water, somebody must be discharging them into the lake, says local physician and pharmacologist Celestino Abua. The lake's Jenja wetlands alone have eight different categories of pollution point sources, including industries that produce or process chemicals, metallurgy, metallurgy, and beverages. Let's take a look at Stuart and Linda Resnick, the California couple who used more water than every Los Angeles home combined. The Resnicks are the world's biggest producers of pistachios and almonds, and they also hold vast groves of lemons, grapefruit, and navel oranges. All told, they claim to own America's second-largest produce company worth an estimated $4.2 billion. The Resnicks have amassed this empire by following a simple agricultural precept. Crops need water. Having shrewdly maneuvered the backroom politics of California's Byzantine water rules, they are now thought to consume more of the state's water than any other family, farm, or company. Such an incredible stockpiling of the state's most precious natural resource might have attracted some more criticism were it not for the Resnick's progressive bona fides. Last year, the couple's political and charitable donations topped $48 million. They spent $15 million in the 2,500 re- on the 2,500 residents of Lost Hills, roughly 600 of whom work for the couple, funding everything from sidewalks, parks, and playing fields to affordable housing and preschool and a health cl- clinic. This is what the elites do. They take everything from you, and then they pretend they are charitable by doling out bits of it back again, and you're supposed to be thankful for their generosity. The Resnick's big donation only came after a scathing article exposing the pollution their industries have caused to the San Joaquin Valley, a daily cloud of smog and soot that rises from interstate automobile traffic, the belching of a few million cows packed into mega dairies, the incineration of toxic waste, and the constant fueling of irrigation pumps and food processing plants, all weaving a faded yellow curtain that hangs in the air. Not only do the wealthy Resnicks and others like them suck every bit of local water out of the ground, the reservoirs, and the waterways, but they buy up water in far-off countries too. The Resnicks bought Fiji water from Canadian businessman David Gilmore in 2004. In 2019 alone, the U.S. population spent $34.6 billion in bottled water sales. Before her marriage, Linda Resnick was a marketing expert, and she sure used that expertise to build hers and her husband's fortunes. Fiji Water is advertised to the public as bottled at the source, untouched by man until you unscrew the cap. 
It's drunk by everyone from former President Barack Obama to Oprah Winfrey, and ordinary folks are willing to pay the high price tag to feel a bit like they are one of the elites too. Fiji Water's 2018 annual revenue hit $43.1 million. Fiji Water... <clears throat> Fiji Water Company owns this pristine water, not the people of Fiji. Despite the presence of Fiji Water, 12% of the inhabitants of Fiji do not have access to clean drinking water due to rusty pipes from an unreliable water system source. Bottled water is another way to bilk the masses while destroying the planet. Journalist Aja Romano stated that it takes around 6 0.74 kilograms or 1.75 gallons of water to produce, export, and distribute one bottle of Fiji water. This is 2,000 times the amount of energy spent compared to drinking water from the tap. By controlling the water supply, the Resnecks control the food supply and the bees that pollinate it. The Resnicks run the privately held agriculture giant Wonderful Company with $5 billion in annual sales from, the pro from products such as Halos, Fiji Water, Palm, Wonderful, and Seedless Lemons. Wonderful's roughly 80,000 hives with about 4.5 billion bees make it one of America's largest beekeepers. There are just five or so companies that control the majority of the colonies in the U.S. and their bees are responsible for pollinating roughly one-third of the food Americans eat every year. From apples and onions to strawberries and carrots, beef producers need bees too as the colonies pollinate feed ingredients like alfalfa seeds and soybeans. Demand is so high for bees with the supply suffering from annual die-offs that wonderful leases its pollinators to farmers as far away as Maine. Imagine, even bees are now owned by billionaires. Small bee owners cannot afford to compete with megaliths like wonderful. Last year, about 40% of the country's managed bees died, the highest annual loss in 11 years. But at Wonderful, the bee population has been growing organically at an annual rate of 13%. The company hasn't bought any new bees in five years, and the number of hives pollinating last year increased to 60,000 from, 60, from 40,000 in 2021. There are roughly 60,000 bees in each hive. We could continue on with this worldwide web of interconnecting billionaires and their incestuous relationships with one another, but I think that's enough for now. If there's anything they don't own yet, you can be sure they are working on ways to do so. If they can charge us for the air we breathe, that will be next. The more these billionaires own, the more frantic they become to own more. But all the earth earthly possessions cannot save them from a spiritual reckoning. Eventually, we all meet our match, the great equalizer, death. From dust you came, and to dust you will return, Genesis 3.19, and no amount of money or power will ever change that. Next, I will compare the lives of Sir Ernest Shackleton and Brian Johnson, two powerful men with very different approaches to life in a follow-up piece called To Live Forever. And that's it for this essay. Thank you so much for reading and for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Please comment, please share, please subscribe, and God bless.